When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on gifts that aren't great for kids, being called out on body language at the table, thank yous for recommendations, condolence cards between family members, and how to handle brunch after a wedding when no one's hosting. Plus your most excellent feedback etiquette salute and a postscript segment from the 1922 edition of Etiquette on announcing engagements. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, your extra questions of the week is about elevator pitches and getting yours right. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. You've got written on our intro topic, happy birthday, exclamation point, question mark, January. Cousin, what would you like to discuss this morning? Because none of our birthdays. We've had family birthdays, though. I'm thinking about birthdays. Okay. I got birthdays all around me. Really? Last night was my sister-in-law's birthday. Happy birthday, Suze. Anisha's birthday is coming up in a couple weeks. Our intern who just started yesterday has a birthday this week. Ah, I didn't know that. And I've been having conversations with people about the birthdays that follow the holidays. Okay. And I'm internally trying to remind myself to keep these events special because in my mind that there's this little escape hatch that keeps going off that says, we just celebrated. I just got a bunch of gifts. This is coming too quickly for me and the ease of my life. And it's not about that. It's about celebrating a special day for someone else. And we did a good job last night. I'll tell you, we were down at my parents' house and we broke out the birthday decorations and had the happy birthday banner up and our hats and our little noisemakers. And unfortunately, Will and Suze couldn't make it. They couldn't make the party. <laughs> so we, we partied with all the kids. I don't mean to laugh, but that is kind of funny. But wait, so the kids were all there. So Stella, Grace, and Dylan were there, but mom and dad couldn't make it. Yep. Gotcha. And we did the birthday parties and the streamers and the cake. And we did like a series of texts <laughs> that went out to the parents that were doing their level best and just, just couldn't make it. But we put in the effort. And running up to this little not impromptu party had been planned for a couple of days. I kept saying to myself, we got to do this. We got to make this special for Sue. Sue's happy birthday. We love and celebrate you. And you were the first of this month, but you won't be the last. And I'm dedicating myself. I'm going to keep it up. So wait a second, because I just have to ask, because I know our audience is wondering, too. There had been talk for a couple days of a birthday celebration at grandparents' house. And all the kids ended up there and the aunt and all, you know, you guys ended up there and Graham and Gramps ended up there. 
But the celebrant didn't end up there, and the celebrant's husband didn't end up there, and everyone was cool with it, and the party ended up being really fun. So please tell me, because it sounds like the kind of thing someone would write in about and be really sad and frustrated about. Oh, we planned a party for you, and you don't even show up. Like, how did this not go there? Let me start from the beginning. Okay. First of all, it's relatively easy for us to party. My parents <laughs> live very close. In fact, they're just, just next door down the road. All of you who have taken the time to write in, Lizzie sounds like she parties a lot. And Dan sounds like such a wholesome individual. I'm just telling you, it's not what you think. <laughs> so they're really nearby. And Pooch picked up all the kids from daycare. They all go to the same daycare. That's easy. So for everybody that was there, it was essentially... Oh, let's walk over. Every day, Anisha asked to walk to her grandparents' house and have chocolate raisins Mm -hmm. and say hi. But I think it's really probably (laughs) the the chocolate chocolate raisins. raisins. (laughs) And this birthday party had had a little bit of an impromptu feel precisely because it was coming so close on the heels of a lot of family holiday gatherings. Totally. Mom had asked for her birthday some quiet time, some relaxing time, uh-huh. some support from everybody to take care of all the family so wait, details. So are you telling me that this this birthday was like a red herring, like a facade? Like it was like a fake birthday to keep the kids occupied so mom could have time to herself? Or was it like it just happened to her? There like, ended up being some of that. Yeah. Mom was also looking at a, a new car. Okay. And she's very excited about that whole process and was getting psyched about it and was enjoying it. So... She was actually car shopping was the thing that delayed and delayed that particular night. But it's also something we're really excited about for her. For her. her. So that's why everyone was kind of like, you guys stay there. Pick out the car. If you're in the zone and the deals are good and the things go, just do it. You've got the time. You're together now. Which parents, that doesn't always happen, especially with these two's jobs. So I really wanted our audience to hear why this all actually was like hunky-dory, happy celebratory. Well, and also my mother made shepherd's pie, which is everyone's favorite. Yeah. So I was saying on my way out the door that night, I had the best party ever. I had a good time. Thanks for having a birthday you weren't here for, Suze. It was awesome. Two helpings of shepherd's pie. I got to hang out with my nieces. We had a great time. They had a great time. And there was this this larger spirit of we want to celebrate you. We want to share that. We don't want to put a burden or pressure on you. And in her case, I think she was feeling the same thing that I was talking about at the beginning of it's a lot of family and a lot of doing that celebrating together. I think she was a little wore out on it. <laughs> well, it sounds like a great Monday evening up on up on the hill. We've got a Tuesday show to record. Do you think we should get to some questions? Let's get to it. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. 
You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Sustaining members, please put sustaining member in your subject line. You can also leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. We just ask that in your post, you use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so that we know we have your permission to put that post on the show. Our first question today is titled, Not a Good Gift for a Kid. Dear Etiquette Experts, I desperately need some help in communicating to my mother-in-law, my husband, her son passed away over three years ago, that my child, her grandchild, does not need or want charitable donations in his name to a charity of her choice. While it's a very nice gesture to donate to charities, and I do that as well along with participating in fundraisers, 5K runs, and other events aimed at raising money for the charities that we support, I think it's selfish of her to be donating to charities of her choice. She never donates to charities that we actually support. And it's not an appropriate Christmas present for a child, any child, but especially one whose father died and who could use some practical gifts like shoes or a trip to a children's museum with grandma or something similar. What would be the best way to tell her that this is unnecessary? My previous mentions of another charity that we support, a charity that helps children who lost a parent, were ignored. Sincerely, Drew. Drew, that's really tough. As, as Dan mentioned, this came up a little bit in one of our recent episodes. Um, and I say mentioned, he mentioned in his show notes. This is a really fine line because you can't tell someone how to gift to you. And at the same time, if a gift you feel is inappropriate, it's it's important to be able to stand up for that. But also, it's a gift to charity. And it's very hard kind of to tell someone that that gift is inappropriate. So I'm, I'm sensing the struggle here. Like I can feel that like, oh, gosh, how do we do this? And we even said, OK, if you are going to be giving to a charity, maybe here are some suggestions for ones we approve of. I don't know if you've mentioned any other charities to support, but there is one thing I have heard of when donating to charities, and some people are of one thought and some people are of another thought. One thought is that you don't donate to a charity that you yourself would be a beneficiary of. And it's just some people just feel that way, that it is it really charity if it's something that you yourself would benefit from 
many, many people believe that they would like to donate to the charities that have helped them or would have helped them because they understand had they not had the resources, it would have been amazing to have an outreach program or something available, resources available to you. So there's a lot of kindredship and and compassion I hear from you suggesting this particular uh, charity. And I just wanted to open up as a perspective that maybe mom looks at that as like a almost like a direct donation to her own grandchild. And if she's trying to go for that giving to others and not yourself thing, that might be where she's coming from. This is a long shot. I am guessing a lot of assuming going on here. But that was just the one thought I had from her perspective where that suggestion might not have been one that she then chose to run with. I'm with you in that I feel children should get gifts and that gifts of experience are wonderful gifts, too. And maybe putting a little more emphasis on an experience with grandma as a gift that you're looking for. I think that might be a good starter place for suggestions as opposed to starting with just actual physical gifts that would be kind of like a one and done thing. I love the go to go to the museum with grandma thing. I think that that to me is like it's it's not consumerism it's quality time it's i think there's a lot to be said for that suggestion i like it and i'm i'm hearing in this question that you're making that effort to get these options on the table that you've offered some suggestions that you don't feel like they've been heard and from an etiquette perspective i, I want to encourage you to continue that approach that this is a discussion it's it's okay if it happens over time and it it can still be a gentle conversation it can still be a soft conversation it can be about different kinds of ideas and gifts that you've received and appreciated and liked it can if the relationship can sustain it take the form of gentle suggestions as well as just a discussion about what works what's liked, what's appreciated. It's not uncommon at holiday and birthday times for parents to send grandparents a suggestion list. So saying something like, hey, Helen, little Billy's birthday is coming up or hey, Helen, Connor's birthday is coming up. And I just wanted to toss out some suggestions he's been talking about. If you needed any help thinking of things for him or if you wanted some inspiration for this year, it's those kind of things, I think, are ways to get into that zone. And clearly she's giving gifts to her grandson. It's even though they're charitable donations, it's not like there's a question mark of whether the the outreach is appropriate at all. You know what I mean? And I think it's normal for parents and grandparents to exchange a little bit of what would someone like. You're fortunate that in this case you're talking about your child. So you really have some latitude and some standing when it comes to talking about gifts. Those positive suggestions work. You also get to set limits. And more often that discussion takes the form of we don't allow these types of gifts. We don't allow <laughs> toys that are targeted at these ages. We right. would really we prefer you keep the price of the gift under this amount. I don't mean to laugh, but but I don't – can I just – I'm not finding the right words in my head right now for we don't appreciate charitable donations. Well, that's like, the trickier one. Like, I'm not sure that – it's like grandma's put us in a place here with this one. Like, And that brings me to sort of the final point of etiquette here, which is – If your suggestions are not heard, if despite your best persistent, diligent, good efforts aren't received, that you receive those gifts well, that it's still your job to appreciate, understand and acknowledge that these are choices someone else gets to make. And you can feel however you want about them. And at the same time, 
it's your job to appreciate the effort and the thought that that person put into it. And that can be the test and the challenge. Drew, we hope that this helps and that as more gifting opportunities arise, you and Grandma have a chance to really connect positively over this. How do you go about being thoughtful? What do you do? Every time I try, I only make things worse. Is there some particular method of being thoughtful that works every time? Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Our next question comes from a self-identified picky eater. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a very picky eater with a lot of dietary restrictions and have been recently told that I am rude when served food. I did not think this was the case. At home, I follow a very strict diet. But when someone serves me food at their own home, I break so many of my dietary rules. For example, added sugar, refined carbs, dairy products. I eat vegan at home. Just to accommodate. I always try to mask my true feelings, eat most or all of what is in front of me, and I would never dare explicitly announce my displeasure with a certain food. And I remember to thank hosts for their food. However, I've been recently criticized for my body language. I tried asking this person for specific details so I know to stop doing XYZ, but getting specifics out of my criticizer was like pulling teeth. I managed to glean the following specifics. One, hesitating. Two, taking a lot of something, then only having a few bites and then slowly eating it or switching to a different serving on my plate. Three, Only having a little, claiming I'm full when asked, why aren't you having more? But then am seen snacking an hour later. Four, not showing enough enthusiasm about certain foods. So my question is, how can I control all aspects of my body language to stop being seen as rude when served food? I asked the person if perhaps in the future I could only take a little bit of what was served to me. The issue was I took a lot of something I thought I would really like but ended up not liking it and then eating it slowly. But he said that that is rude, too. He says, I just need to stop being so picky and just learn to be polite and stop having so many dietary restrictions, which I have for health reasons. I feel frustrated because I feel like a lot of body language is involuntary and I shouldn't be called rude for my implicit body language. Which doesn't always mean what people think it means if I'm making an effort to be explicitly polite. What are your thoughts and what are your tips for essentially becoming a better actor or actress? What are the limits? Anonymous. I just, huge sympathies go to Anonymous right now. I am that person who looks at something and thinks, oh my gosh, that's going to be like the most amazing thing. And I take a nice, you know, appropriate size portion. It's not like half my plate becomes it. And then you take the one bite and no, my goodness, that person's sauce broke or didn't have the right flavorings or you had no idea it has XYZ for me. It's cilantro like in it that just ruins it for you. And Dan laughs because cilantro is such a thing with me. But it it's like it, I have that moment and then I feel guilty as a food waster and I don't want to make the host feel bad. 
So now on top of it, Anonymous, with all that going on in Anonymous's head, Anonymous gets to add whomever this he is that is so detailed and dialed in and nitpicking Anonymous's behavior at the table and then telling Anonymous they have no solutions other than to like foods they don't like, eat foods that make them sick, and not essentially try to control their own body and experience. Oh, my good. I just want to hug you right now. Can we, like, hug? Lizzie Post, as I was reading this question, I was thinking about you. I'm so not totally. surprised that you were delighted by this question. I thought so. Bridget picked this question, and when I read it, I was like, "I love Bridget. Like Bridget's doing an amazing job." <laughs> like, I also feel like I've had the good fortune to know you long enough that I can read very subtle signs that you give when I can tell there are internal conflicts going on. Oh, yeah. Like. Oh, someone just made an effort to pick me up this soup, and now I'm realizing there's some cilantro in it, and what am I going to do with it? <laughs> and um, Anonymous signed this question anonymous, but I was picturing Lizzie Post as I was reading it. <laughs> I will say that the stress and anxiety that you can feel over having to perform over food is really frustrating. And there is so much shaming that goes on around eating and and how you should eat. I still get that from a lot of people based on the way I choose to eat and what works for my body. And the anxiety of having to sit through two hours with people and be worried about people observing you all the time when you just want to focus on the conversation and be a polite guest. Oh, my goodness. It's it'll it'll make you say no to dinner parties. So let's start to tackle some of the etiquette in let's the question. And the first thought I had was I want to applaud Anonymous for a willingness to do some self-reflection. We talk about the idea that etiquette is most powerful when used as a tool for self-improvement. Mm-hmm. And I... I see throughout this entire question a willingness to do that self-examination, to say these are my intentions and I want these intentions to be what people read. And if it's not coming across that way, what can I do? How can I be a – I don't know if it's being a better actor or actress, but how do I learn about myself? Will this person talk to me about the specifics? If those specifics are things I can address, I want to address them. The etiquette gold star here is – that whole approach that's one of I want people to feel good and I want to be able to participate. I want to tackle the one, two, three, four. So the the question about hesitating before you eat something, taking a lot of something that only having a few bites, only having a little claiming you're full, not showing enough enthusiasm. These are really subtle things. Sometimes people don't eat till other people start eating. And I think timing yourself in relation to the people around you, I think is a pretty easy way to to feel like you're engaging in behaviors that are pretty safe socially. In terms of taking a lot of something, then only having a few bites, take a little less. Do those trial portions. Although I hear your particular example of it looked really good to me and I took a lot of it. <laughs> um, what are you going to do? You got to shrug your shoulders and, and smile a little bit. The only having a little, I think, is a good idea. Mm-hmm. The the claiming your full part, if it's not true, I would hold yourself really accountable to a standard of honesty. Say, I like to try things. I don't like to take too much right off the bat. I think those are going to be better sample scripts than things to have in your mind. Than... I often eat smaller amounts more frequently throughout the day. So, yes, you might see me like snacking an hour later or something or when we get home from dinner. <laughs> I'm feeling full right now. I I ate a little while ago. I will probably have an appetite again in an hour or two. 
not showing enough enthusiasm. I think that you just build those sample scripts of thanks and appreciation for whoever your host or your cook is for making the effort, for including you, for doing whatever it is that they did. And you mentioned at the start of this question that you make an effort to thank your host. That's the good etiquette. I think you're doing a pretty good job here. As I kept moving down through the question and I heard some of the language that you included from your criticizer, I'm going to call him, stop being so picky, learn to be polite. My little warning <laughs> lights were, were going off were on my instrument panel. Saying, Can't you just be different for me? That's exactly what I hear out of that language. <laughs> to me, not responding to that rudeness with more rudeness, not becoming too self-critical is yeah. your job here. Yeah. And I, I even went further. This I'm going to tiptoe into Lizzie Post territory and say sometimes relationships aren't great relationships. And if someone can't eat well with you, to me, I start to assess the totality of that relationship. And Dan's speaking relationships of all kinds right now because we, we dine with all types of people in our lives. And it might be just a good friend. It might be someone that you're interested in. It might be a family member. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. then it becomes about managing that relationship and those so, moments at the table together, right? More than becoming a better actress or or figuring out a way to conform to their particular expectations of you in every second. I don't feel like we actually have that much to suggest to Anonymous in terms of things for Anonymous to do for their own behavior. I feel like Anonymous is actually probably doing many of the things. You might try asking one of your really good friends whether or not they see these things in you too and just open it up because I know we keep kind of tiptoeing around assuming that the criticizer is a, as a spouse or a significant other. Um, but if, if they are, often those people will use other things in our lives to, to handle other problems and you might be getting picked on about being a picky eater um, for other things that they're mad at you for. And I don't, I don't want to totally assume, but I think it's really smart to get that third party and say, say to one of your friends, you know, when I'm at your house and this is going on, like I, sometimes this happens to me. I find myself in this kind of a situation. Is it like written all the way across my face that I detest what I'm sitting in front of or that I'm really paranoid that someone's going to notice that I didn't like a dish? Like, I mean, what is there something going on here? And that might help to equal out the experience that's really happening versus just one person's perspective on you. I love that idea. Anonymous, this is not an easy situation. We applaud you for your self-reflection. We think it probably invite a little bit more perspective just so that you're not having the perspective of just one person criticizing you about this. And then use those good tools, the benevolent truth that we talk about, you know, finding that one good thing you can say. And it is perfectly polite. We want to put this out there for you to take a small portion. If even if it looks really, really good and you want a lot of it, take that small portion, taste it. If you love it, you can immediately say, oh, my goodness, I know I would love more of this. May I go back before seconds even begin or something like that? I mean, it's, it's there. But then then you're not doing the wasting food thing, which I think some people do notice. We hope that this helps. Let us know how it's going and bon appetit. Mealtime is fun for Frank. And it's fun for Judy, too. But it's different with Ralph. Will you have some peas, Ralph? Gosh, Mrs. Scott, I don't like peas. Oh, that's too bad. Well, how about a baked potato, then? Well, okay. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our next question is about thanks for recommending. Dear Lizzie and Dan, Happy New Year. I'm writing today with a question about how to properly express my gratitude for the wonderful folks who have written letters of recommendation for my graduate school applications. In past experiences, applying to internships, etc., I have thanked letter writers with a thank you note and a small gift, such as chocolates or a coffee shop gift card. In the process of applying to grad school, however, my letter writers have been much more involved. They have read many drafts of my personal statement and writing samples, answered my questions about certain schools and programs, and taken hours out of their schedules to sit down with me and chat about applications. What are some of your thoughts on expressions of gratitude that reflect the amount of work that these folks have devoted to my application? For reference, these letter writers are all former professors of mine. I recently graduated from college, so my relationships with these professors have shifted slightly from student-teacher to -to peer-to-peer. I feel as though this is a small but important detail. Thank you for your wonderful podcast. It brings light and reflection to my Mondays. Warm wishes. Perspective student. Perspective student. Very thoughtful. Very thoughtful to be recognizing how much these folks are doing for you and to what degree and and how it will help you. A handwritten thank you note is honestly the, the minimum. And it's completely appropriate. When we say minimum for a thank you note in school or business, it doesn't mean the least you can do. It means that it's it's your baseline. It's the place to start from. You can grow and build beyond it in terms of making it flourished or adding gifts to it. But but it's that good check the box. You're doing the right thing. Feel good about it, even if it's just a thank you note. It's adequate, not in the sense of adequate being just enough, but yeah. adequate in the sense of it's adequate. It's, it's adequate. It it's works. It suffices. It works. Yes. <laughs> not everything has to be above and beyond. I think that there's no reason to go above and beyond that unless you really feel connected to the person and know something that, that you think they would really like. And that's what we're hearing here. So what are ways you could notch that up a little bit? You could make it a little bit longer note. You could talk about some of the things that you've written to us in your thank you note. You could make it a seven, eight, nine sentence thank you note as opposed to a three, four sentence thank you note. That, believe it or not, starts to communicate more. You're making the effort. You're writing a little more and you're connecting in multiple personal ways as well as expressing that thanks or gratitude. You can also call someone up. You can give them a chance to hear that warmth in your voice, the genuine appreciation that you feel. If they're not too far away, you can pay them a visit. You can offer to take them to a lunch to show your appreciation. You can connect in an even more personal way by spending that incredibly important face-to-face time with them. You can often find a good opportunity to have this follow-up visitor call when you start to hear back. You can tell people that you want to touch base with them and let them know how it's going and That can provide a little bit of a framework for that discussion and a good excuse to make that call or that invitation. The other thing is to consider the recipient. Is the recipient someone who's incredibly busy all the time? Then trying to arrange a lunch or a coffee, probably actually not going to be a great 
thing to do. But a phone call might be something that could be taken and, and your words are then expressed really, really easily. Or are they, they someone who loves a particular hobby or interest? And is there something that you could get them that reflects that? So think about this person also and think about what you know of them and what would really support and be great in their life as a thank you. A final thought that I want to leave you with is that this kind of work that a professor does, helping someone find the right school and helping guide someone into their profession or their career is part of what that profession entails. And I fully understand your desire to show that appreciation that you feel. But it's also not necessarily the most important thing for a big or grand gesture to come from you to validate what it is they're doing, that in so many ways, this is part of the profession. People help out people who are getting started in, 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 in so many professions, not just in the academic world. I want to encourage you to remember how this makes you feel right now. And someday when you're in a position to be doing this kind of recommending or helping someone who's just getting started, that you think of that as another way to pay this forward and to show your thanks and appreciation. Remember it. Remember how good it makes you feel and do that for someone else someday. That's another way to carry this good feeling that you're having forward in a way that's really important. Prospective student, we both wish you the best on all of your searches moving forward. We help to make our meetings with other people courteous by using such words as please. On the other hand, thank you is a simple way to repay those who do things for you. This question is titled, Condolence Cards When You're Close to Them Too. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I am a longtime fan of your podcast and feel like I am a more thoughtful person because of it. I have a possibly tricky question. I live across the country from most of my extended family and spent this Christmas visiting them. Two days after I returned to my state to spend time with my in-laws, my grandmother passed away. I made the difficult choice of not flying back to attend her funeral for a few reasons. I don't get to see her often, and it felt important to preserve my memories of the past week I had with her. It would have been difficult financially, and I don't tend to find closure in funerals in the way that I think a lot of other people do. This is a large funeral, not a small, intimate one. I would like to express my condolences to my extended family, and I was wondering if it would be appropriate to send them handwritten cards. I usually think of condolence cards as something sent by people who weren't close to the person who had passed. Can I send a small note to my cousins and uncle and let them know that I hope they are doing well and that I am grieving too? Did I make a big faux pas by not attending the funeral? My mom assured me that it was okay since I had just spent time with her and the family, but I feel a little uncertain about it. Some sample language to write them would be really helpful. Let me know if you have any insight for me. Thanks for all you do. Hallie. Hallie, I'm glad to hear that this podcast has been a help to you, and I also want to offer our condolences for the passing of your grandmother. Oh, we're so sorry. You've asked a couple of questions here that are about etiquette that we get asked about a lot. And the attending a funeral question, I think, is the easiest question to answer. That is a really personal choice that you have to make. And you get to make that choice for all of the kinds of reasons that you stated in your question. Those financial concerns are valid. They are real. And the they're part of decision making and you don't need to feel bad about that factoring into how you made this choice. The other things that you talked about also make a lot of sense that this funeral wasn't something that you felt was targeted in a way that was going to be really meaningful or significant to you or it was going to be a small intimate occasion with friends and family that were very close. 
that it was going to be a larger gathering or event and that you felt like you got to spend that intimate close time with your grandmother recently and that those are the memories that are really important to you. I actually thought that was just something a lot of people don't actually think of in making the decision. And I, I found it a really a beautiful and positive one that, that I was like, wow, that reason alone, I probably would have done what she was talking about. Your awareness of how this funeral service functions is also really important and shows real perspective. And these types of services are important for families and communities. They provide an opportunity not just to say goodbye and to remember, but also to spend time together. And I think that you're really wise to be thinking about that function for this as well and to be thinking about how you can participate in that feeling of being together with family that's so important at a time like this. You say that you would like to express your condolences, and I think you should. That's if when when you're having that moment of wanting to say things to someone who's just lost someone they love, the reason there there is kind of so much etiquette around it is because it's an encouraged thing to do. We find we connect, we feel better often when this happens, and so we like to support that. But it's such an awkward time in life for people. And here's a family member wanting to wish another family member well through a difficult time and even having moments of hesitation. Is it appropriate? Is it too formal for me to write this letter? Is it too distant? And it isn't. It's it's honestly kind. It's thoughtful. It's another avenue to reach out via. And even if those people are close with you, I've personally found that sometimes those are the notes I, I not appreciate the most as if others aren't, you know, good. But they are notes that I really notice an extra special touch because that person probably could have just picked up the phone and called or assumed that we're all feeling it because it's grandma. And so I think it is appropriate to reach out to your family members and say, I'm sorry for your loss, too. It's our loss together, but I know you're dealing with this and I'm not going to be there. And so you might want to write something that says, dear Uncle Connor and and Lola and Becky and and grace and you know all of them <laughs> list everyone on it you can do that you can do a group a group one um but i would do it per household if you are going to do it to your extended family and not leave out one particular branch of the family but you can say something like i'm so sorry that we're all going through this um i'm so sorry if you wanted to write specifically to the to the children of grandma you could say i'm so sorry you lost your mother I knew her as a grandmother, but you've known her your whole life as your mom, and I can only imagine what that's like, and I'm thinking of you and um, wish I could be there. Any of those types of things could help and are just nice to convey. And a lot of times those things just happen with family through a hug. And as you said, you're not going to be there for those hugs during this time right now. And so it's not a bad thing to to write and express and have them see your handwriting. Um, and, of course, phone calls would absolutely also be appropriate. It doesn't mean that you feel it any less, that you're making that effort to reach out and acknowledge what they're going through and to express that you want to be there for them. I really like your reminder, Lizzie, that you can also still do those other things, that you can still follow up with calls. You can express these same thoughts about condolence and sympathy and shared loss when you see them next, that this is going to be something that people are processing and dealing with over time. And that condolence note or sympathy note is a great first step baseline, but then there is a grieving process and there is there are many opportunities in life to continue to connect and remember those people that are important to us and to honor and celebrate the relationships that, that continue. 
I want to wrap up this question by telling a little personal story about a conversation I was having with a close friend recently who um, lost his father sort of unexpectedly earlier in his life. Mm. And he gets together with his immediate family on what would be his father's birthday. Okay. And they had found a bundle of sympathy cards, condolence cards that had been lost. Oh. And they were opening them years later. Oh, my God. Like a whole bundle of them? Wow. More than one. And oh. somehow they had been misplaced. Yeah. And then they they turned up, I think, around a moving or a selling of a house. And they reminded him of all those people that had been connected to his father years later. And he was talking to me about what a significant and special time it was remembering his father finding these sympathy notes, these condolence cards that people had written. And it reminded me of how nice a gesture these cards are and how much they mean to the people that receive them. By all means, send them, feel good about it, and remember your grandmother. Our final question today is titled Wedding Brunch Sample Script. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, one of my friends is getting married in the spring and she wants guests to come to a wedding brunch the day after the wedding. How can it be worded on the wedding website to clarify that the brunch will not be paid for by the bride and groom? Thanks for all your great work on the podcast. Sincerely, Emily. Oh, Emily, she kind of can't do it. She kind of can, but she kind of can't. I have thoughts. I have lots of thoughts. Dan likes to laugh at me when I say things like this. <laughs> I had a similar thought. You almost can't do it in terms of writing it down. <laughs> so this is a trick. First of all, you're not going to have a wedding brunch because if you're having a wedding brunch, then it really is connected to the wedding and some member of the family or one member, a member of either families or friends should be hosting this for the bride and groom if they really want it and they're going to have it. The bride and groom can host it themselves, but that's not happening. So they aren't having a wedding brunch. I wouldn't call this a wedding brunch. I would just call this like goodbyes. Or if you are looking for something to do until your travel plans need to engage in the afternoon. In other words, if no one is going to step up and actually host a brunch, what we are doing is organizing. And that means that it is loosier and goosier, and we want way loosier and goosier. Way loosier and goosier, and we need to make a an effort to be clear about that. My thought was that you could put on the kind of schedule for the weekend or the schedule for the wedding a notation after ceremony, after party are all listed. You know, you could say Sunday. And then you could say something along the lines of, while we have no formal hosted gathering, many guests have said that they are interested in having breakfast or brunch at these locations. And you might put a couple different places down. And you might even say something like, the bride and groom are going to make their best efforts to stop by each place as a final goodbye to folks. But that, to me, would be something where I would be like, okay, so we don't have one planned event that we're all going to. Suggestions are being made. But this happens. I've been to plenty of weddings where maybe you're in a remote location and there really is only kind of like one diner. So everyone gathers there, but it hasn't been listed as a hosted event. So I know I'm paying my way. 
I've seen a version of this a number of times. And my favorite version of this is everyone staying in the same hotel. And that final Sunday, Just the happens. restaurant at the hotel ends up being this. Yes. And it happens very naturally. Yeah. And if everyone's staying in the same place, like that destination wedding, you can almost anticipate it. And I think it's a nice idea for... The couple, even if they feel completely wasted and wiped out after the big wedding day, to make some kind of appearance. It's a great opportunity to touch base with guests one last time and connect before people all scatter and go their their, their separate ways at the end of the wedding. I love the wedding brunch. I think it's a great tradition. It was one of the fa- my favorite parts of my wedding weekend. And in our case, Pooja's mother hosted it. And it was a really simple affair. She cooked of traditional Indian breakfast food. What was the fried thing that we all like kept hoping? Like as they were frying up these beautiful, it was some kind of dough that gets fried. And I feel like everyone was just waiting for those to come out. It was so delicious. Okay, so I said it was really simple Indian breakfast. It, Alka can't control herself. She ended up doing halvas and chanas and dosas. And which, so which one am I talking about? Is dosa. it a hal- Dosa, okay. So good. Everyone was so excited about this breakfast. <laughs> And then she also packed up little, like, on-the-road meals for people as they were leaving. It was amazing. But it was also uh, simple ingredients, simple food, served on paper, Mm -hmm. and served out of the garage and a few, like, small, like, not big tents, but, like, little food service tents set up in the driveway so that people could stop on their way out of town. And it was also a really nice... Sunday check-in with everybody before they, they went their separate ways. So there, there might be an inexpensive version of this that you could still host mm-hmm. if you're interested in playing that hosting role and you want to formalize it just a little bit. Emily, we hope this helps. The big takeaways that you want to bring to your friend are that you don't want to word anything that suggests you are hosting a planned kind of mandatory event. If someone does step up and decide to host this, great. Throw it in that type of fashion, however fits the host's abilities. But in the absence of that, you just want to say folks are gathering or people have talked about. This is a very spread it via word of mouth. You can have a mention on the website, but you want it to sound very casual. Um, That way people don't assume that it's going to be something that's taken care of for all of them. Emily, thanks for the question. We wish you the best, offering some guidance to your friend, and we hope that you all have a fabulous time. On the other hand, marriage in most of America today is a little different from what it was yesterday, because the people are a little different. Where rising living costs seem always to outdistance lagging earning power. It's a tough world, this world the young people are supposed to inherit. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Sustaining members, remember to put sustaining member in your question so that we know we're getting it from you. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette in your post so that we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And our first piece of feedback comes to the listener who wrote in about earbuds in in, in the apartment. And this was the couple who um, the, the earbud wearer was writing in saying that the non-earbud wearer does not appreciate the earbuds being worn all the time and the podcast and audiobook listening to happen all the time. Earbuds in apartment. 
I just listened to the episode where the listener's partner felt isolated when the listener had earbuds in at home. One possible solution would be for the listener to wear only one earbud. This allows the partner to get their attention much more easily and may help her feel that interruptions are not a problem. I like it. I'm glad we got to revisit this question just a little bit. I felt this was one that you and I had slightly different perspectives on. We do, yeah. Whereas I'm the person who was often listening to podcasts with both earbuds in. I think you were thinking about it from the perspective of someone who feels isolated from that person at times. And I think that informed our answers. I'll put it that way. (laughs) There has been an evolution in my household around this. We recently got a Sonos sound system with the – you can – turn it on with your voice Mm -hmm. and it's taken my listening world out of my earbuds and into the shared environment. So I've been navigating a transition moment where all of a sudden my podcasts are now something that I'm sharing with everyone Mm -hmm. and I'm balancing that. Am I isolating myself versus am I subjecting other people to things they don't want to hear? And it's rich etiquette territory. There is a lot of room to think about this in a lot of different ways and I appreciate the feedback. Our next piece of feedback is about the what do you do question. Amy begins, I keep forgetting to write in to weigh in on the what do you do question. Gretchen Rubin, one of my favorite authors, suggests asking, what has been keeping you busy instead? Oh, I like it. I love it. (laughs) I thought that when I read that, I was like, that's perfect. Okay. Love the sample script. Then the person can answer about work, hobbies, family, etc. I also find that it works well when I'm asked what I do. I say, I'm an accountant, but what's been keeping me busy these days is planning my trips to Alaska and Hawaii for 2019. I wish I was telling people that. (laughs) That answers the question and moves the conversation on to a topic I prefer to discuss. I hope this helps someone. I just want to like, like standing, like, yay. Yay. I'm actually standing. This is awesome. 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 Awesome feedback, Amy. I'll affirm that. I'll say, Amy, you've helped one person. Me. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for sending in your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. They do us so much good to hear them. You can send us your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. Remember, program it into your phone so that you can text us or call us in your etiquette moment. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is sourced from the 1922 edition of Etiquette. And it addresses announcing an engagement. Yes. And there's this little section called before announcement and then announcing the engagement. So they're two, like both preparing for it and and then the actual announcement. Um, and you can find this on page 303 of your copies at home. This is, again, the 1922 edition of Emily Post's Etiquette. Before announcement. Usually, a few days before the formal announcement and still earlier for letters written abroad or to distant states, both young people write to their aunts, uncles, and cousins, and to their most intimate friends of their engagement, asking them not to tell anyone until the determined date. As soon as they receive the news, all the relatives of the groom-elect must call on the bride. She is not welcomed by the family, until their cards, left upon her in person, assure her so. She must, of course, return all of these visits, and as soon as possible. 
If his people are in the habit of entertaining, they should very soon ask her with her fiancé to lunch or to dinner, or, after the engagement is publicly announced, give a dinner or tea or dance in her honor. If, on the other hand, they are very quiet people, their calling upon her is sufficient in itself to show their welcome. In case of a recent death in either immediate family, the engagement cannot be publicly announced until the first period of mourning is passed. It is entirely dignified for a private wedding to take place at the bedside of a very ill parent or soon after a deep bereavement. In that case, there is, of course, no celebration, and the service is read in the presence of the immediate families only. The announcement is invariably made by the parents of the bride-elect. It is a breach of etiquette for a member of the young man's family to tell of the engagement until the formal announcement has been arranged for. That's just leading up to the announcement. That's not even like the announcement, which we're about to get to. Secrets must be protected. Secrets must be protected. Mourning. This was still a time where death was a really elongated big deal, and it mattered whether you celebrated during a period of mourning or not. Um, but it's it's fascinating to hear also that Emily herself is taking a moment to break up personalities, which is always, always something that increased in Emily Post etiquette over time. So here she's looking at people who like to entertain and do so frequently versus people who are on the quieter side. Emily continues, announcement of engagement. On the evening before the day of the announcement, the bride's mother either sends a note or has someone call the various daily papers by telephone and says, I am speaking for Mrs. John Huntington Smith. Mr. and Mrs. Smith are announcing the engagement of their daughter, Mary, to Mr. James Smartlington, son of Mr. and Mrs. Arthur Brown Smartlington of 200 Arcade Avenue. If either the Huntington Smiths or the Arthur Smartlingtons are socially prominent, Reporters will be sent to get further information. Photographs and details, such as entertainments to be given or plans for the wedding, will probably be asked for. The prejudices of old-fashioned people against giving personal news to papers is rapidly becoming overcome, and not even the most conservative any longer object to a dignified statement of facts, such as Mrs. Smith's telephone message. It is now considered entirely good form to give photographs to magazines and newspapers, but one should never send them unless specially requested. On the eve of the announcement, a dinner is sometimes given by the girl's parents, and the news is told by her father, who, at about salad course or dessert, proposes the health of his daughter and future son-in-law. I'm so glad to know it's the salad course. Or dessert. Salad or dessert because I, I they fall so closely together all the time, every single time. Is this because people really need to focus on the main course so they can enjoy <laughs> the, the, the important part of the meal without being distracted? I have no idea. OM, you didn't tell us. <laughs> the one thing that caught my eye, actually, when I was reading this was the moment where where we said the Huntington... Smiths and the uh, Arthur Smartlingtons. And it was interesting because Huntington and Arthur were not the same 
paternal names in order. One was a middle name of someone and one was a first name of someone. But Emily used both to reference them then when she was calling them by, you know, the shortened version of their names. And I thought that was kind of interesting if you were able to follow that at all. But it's I I like this little section because it gets at the idea that there's actually quite a lot that goes on before the announcement is made and in care with how that announcement is made. And we still talk about that today. We talk about that you do want to reach out to immediate family before posting that message on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, that you you want to make sure that all of the really close players have been involved in your life before you involve the world. And in Emily's day, that was as gauche as telling the newspaper, whereas in our day, it's as everyday simple as posting it to Facebook. Absolutely. I was having a very similar thought about that development of our public life, Mm -hmm. that there is this very old world aristocratic idea that a gentleman's name never appears in the paper. And Ooh. and then it was like twice, twice in his life when you're born and when you pass. And but that's that was it. The idea yeah. was if you lived a circumspect life, you never did anything that would require anyone to look at you like that in any way to write about positive you or, or to the or world <laughs> negative. But there was a sense of propriety and, and privacy that was so closely held. And to look at that from our perspective today is remarkable and refreshing charming <laughs> i don't know A what i would bit. say yeah. <laughs> i love i love dipping back into the old sections of the 1922 especially as you and i prepare to write the 20th edition of emily post's etiquette there's a lot more character and sometimes a lot more assumption, too. But i'll be excited to see how it ends up influencing our work in the next two years I want to encourage you to bring back some of that sass. Oh, I think we will. It's time to get a little playful at Emily Post. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today's salute comes from Susie. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. This is Susie, and I have an etiquette salute. It's small, but it's the small stuff that counts. I was in Walmart recently, which alone can be chaotic and stressful. But they have a big bin of 98-cent spices that I love to buy. There was an elderly woman also there looking in it. I was slightly frantically looking for a specific one. And it was frantic enough that she said, Are you looking for something specific? And I replied, Oh yes, garlic powder. There are a lot of garlic salts, but I don't see a lot of powder. And she said, Oh, I think I saw one. And I got excited and thought it was so nice of her to help me. She ended up finding it and giving it to me, and I was so grateful and thanked her so much. It was such a nice gesture when she could have easily been annoyed at me. So thank you to that lovely woman. Susie, thank you for sharing this salute. I find myself in these moments frequently where it's just the, it's, a, it's a tiny kindness of a stranger, and it does just really lift your day. I was on a search for granulated garlic myself the other day, and found garlic salt in my hands and thought to myself, where's my granulated garlic? I wish I had had a friend to help me out in that moment. It's true. It was like this really good granulated garlic. I use it for my poor shoulder. I really shoulder. wish I'd had a friend to help me out in that moment. <laughs> okay, you, go away. Do I need to do something different? No, it's really funny. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us your questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette, E-T-I-Q-U-E-T-T-E, at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voice message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. On Facebook, you can find us at Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider helping us out. You can do this by becoming a sustaining member, visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. And we are now on Spotify, so tell your Spotify friends. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine, and it is assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget. 